Okay. Uh, I want to talk about two prophets tonight, and I hope it's of some profit to you. Uh, the, the prophets like to pun, which I don't know if you noticed, but I just punned, and most people just, I know you just had a gigantic meal, and, but uh, two prophets tonight, and I hope it's of some profit to you. See, that's a pun. Okay, first prophet I want to talk about, see, Joelimus, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nam. Hosea is the first of the minor prophets. I don't like the word minor because they are not minor prophets. They are all major prophets. But the length of their scrolls is shorter than the other prophets, and that's why they're called the minor prophets. The Greeks... I mean, the Hebrews call them the Book of the Twelve. That's what they should be known as. And I want to go to Hosea and talk about Hosea. First thing you need to know about him is name what the name means. Hosea is probably in the late part of the 8th century, sometime around 740 down to about 690. Um, Hosea means salvation. The same root is in the name Jesus. Uh, Yehoshua or Yeshua. Here, here, right back here. Uh, so Hosea means salvation. It's the same root as the name Joshua or Jesus. But Joshua and Jesus, Yeshua and, and Yeshu mean uh, the Lord saves. So Hosea is one of the early prophets. All the guys we've talked about so far, Jonah and, I mean, both of them, all two of them, uh, Jonah and Joel are uh, prophets, prophets to the northern kingdom, except the biggest record we have of Jonah is over in Nineveh. Hosea is also a prophet of the northern kingdom. Now, if you remember about... Oh, I got him. These will probably work. I think this one might work. About nine... Somewhere between 965 and 960. That's good. Yeah, right in here. Hosea. Thank you. Uh, right in here is when Solomon croaked. Okay? There's another word we have many ways of saying died. Okay? Bit the dust, bought the farm, you know, you know, kicked the bucket. Solomon died somewhere in there, and his idiot son, Rehoboam, a lot of people think Rehoboam and Jeroboam are the Boam brothers, but they're not even related, I mean, except they're Jewish. But Rehoboam took over. And Rehoboam, you know the story, didn't listen to the elders when the ten northern tribes asked him to lower their taxes. Because Solomon's taxes were really heavy just to keep up 
you know, that tremendous kingdom he had. Uh, they asked him to lower his taxes, and uh, the older people said, yes, lower them, and they will be, you know, unified with us forever. And then he went and listened to the young men instead, and they said, tell him your little fingers thicker than your father's loins, you know. And that you're going to, he taxed you with whips, I'm going to use scorpions. And so uh, they said, that's it for us. We have nothing to do more with Judah. And so they went to the north and set up their own kingdom. They had ten tribes, much bigger group. Um, and Jeroboam then, because of Rehoboam, Jeroboam uh, became king. God gave him the kingship. And instead of obeying and honoring God, he's the one that built the golden calves. One at Bethel. Bethel means house of God, but the prophets call it Beth Aven, the house of wickedness. And then another one built up in Dan, all the way at the north and all the way at the south of the kingdom. So people went there instead of going to Jerusalem. But there was always a remnant in the northern kingdom that went down to Jerusalem to worship once a year. In that time period uh, of the northern kingdom, uh, here comes these prophets. And you got, you got Joel way back, probably in the 800s. Then you got Jonah in the 800s. And then you got Hosea in the 700s, uh, 8th century B.C. And Hosea lived up there. And God came to Hosea. And if you look at the very beginning here, he says, uh, Hosea is the son of Beery. Beery means my well. I don't know, you know if that's important. In the days of... Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. That's exactly the same time sequence as Isaiah. Isaiah starts out in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. So it's a long period of time under four different kings. Uh, these kings are... I don't have time to talk about Isaiah, but Isaiah is a relative of these kings. He is a nobleman. And he preaches to the kings. So there are the kings in the south. But up in the north is Rehoboam. And that's where Hosea is speaking. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, not Rehoboam. Jeroboam. Got them mixed up. And Jeroboam's already built these golden calves. And he's paid no attention to Yahweh. And he gets punished for it. Uh, he becomes a really evil leader. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, Jeroboam's up here, yeah. Oh, the second Jeroboam. I don't see him. But anyway, the second Jeroboam. You can show me. Here. Got it. See, he reigned 41 years. That's a long time for a king. 
That's uh, 40 years is how long Solomon reigned. 40 years is how long David reigned. Uh, he reigned 41. Uh, length of life is so short. The older I get, the more I realize how short it is. Imagine living 900 years like the people did before the flood. It was a whole different world. I don't want to live that long, but there was a whole different world back there. Nobody ever got sick. The magnetic force of the earth, which has a 1,400-year half-life, uh, means that uh, there would be so much electricity in the air back before the flood that parasites, bacteria, and viruses could not live outside the ground. And the farther we go, the more of these things, the more illnesses come into effect on humans because uh, electricity is getting less and less and less in the air. The heat of the earth is getting less and less. Uh, the electrical part. So, God tells Hosea, look at verse 2. When Yahweh began to speak to Hosea, and again, that capitalized all the way through, it's always his personal name, Yahweh said to Hosea, Go take yourself a wife of prostitution and children of prostitution. And the word literally means a woman who is committing adultery. Okay? And children from that. For the land has committed great prostitution from the Lord. Now, prostitution was how people worshipped the Lord. We've talked about this before. Most of the ancient world worshipped sex. And so the word, it's incredible, the word holy one in the Bible, back way back in the Old Testament and the Torah, in the early five books of the Bible, Moses, the word holy one means whore. Okay? It means prostitute. It's a terrible word. Holy one, it's like saying, uh, you know, oh, Obama was a good Christian. You know, it's just, it's, it's sarcasm. Uh, I read his book. He said he would become a Muslim if the world went in a different direction. Uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't seem to be uh, too interested in that. But I won't get off on the politics part. But here's God calling a man who was a good person, whose name is salvation, to marry an evil, destructive harlot of a woman. And so he went and took Gomer, son of uh, daughter of Diblaim. Diblaim is a Hebrew word that means two raisin cakes. And you may not think that's important, but they used raisin cakes. Raisins are seeds. And this is sex worship. And they used raisin cakes, one for the moon and one for the sun, because they worshiped them. Now, this is what happened to the northern kingdom. They worshipped the host of heaven. They worshipped golden calves. Uh, just like Israel did in the desert. And God just let that whole generation die. So that they could change, he could change the heart of the people. So she is the daughter of a, of a guy that worships idols. And she conceived and bore him a son. 
Notice it says she conceived and bore him a son. I'm sure you've seen this. Call his name Jezreel, which means he sows seed. For in a little while I will avenge the bloodshed of Jezreel on the house of Jehu. Jehu was the king. He did some good things, but he also he had a big Baal revival, and he made everybody come into the Baal revival, and they all had to leave their guns outside. Well, their swords, okay? And he wanted to make sure that don't leave any Baal worshiper out. And so all of them, they were basically driven in there. Their swords were taken away from them. And then Jehu and all his army went in and killed them all. He wanted to destroy Baal worship. That's the only way you could do it back then. And he did. And he did some good things, but he also did some bad things. And God's going to judge his household and bring to an end, bring an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. The northern kingdom is going to be destroyed. God is predicting this. And so he names the child Jezreel. Because the bloodshed of Jezreel, which was the valley uh, that in which the Baal revival took place, it will come to pass in that day he will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. He's going to destroy Israel's army when the invading army from the north comes in. That army is Assyria. If you look at a map... You see two rivers going into the Persian Gulf. The first of the rivers up here, this is the Tigris. This one's the Euphrates. <clears throat> up in this area is where Assyria was. And the Assyrians came down. Here's the little tiny t place where... The Jews live along the Mediterranean coast, this little area. And he came down and wiped out the northern kingdom. And then he went back home. He destroyed Egypt down here also, the Nile Delta region. He took, he took all these countries, but he left Judah alone. God had told him, had told uh, through the prophets... That, the Israel, that Israel would be destroyed, but Judah would remain because they had not reached their apex of evil yet. Okay? So uh, Tiglath-Pileser III came down and took away the northern kingdom as slaves, destroyed the city of Samaria, surrounded the city. They were selling donkeys' heads for a lot of silver, Maybe you know the amount. Uh, they were selling uh, doves' dung for food. You know, whatever they could get, they were they were dying inside the the walls of the city. And finally, he breached the walls. They had uh, big machines for war back then, trebuchets. You know, catapults, uh, throwing these massive boulders that would go through almost anything. They build castle walls six feet thick, and they throw a boulder at it and destroy it, go right through the wall. Uh, these guys had great 
great power, and they conquered and took them back north. So there's the northern kingdom's gone. There's a remnant of people left behind. Some are nations, nations outside of Israel, and some are Israelites, a small group left behind. But they, took, they always took the best people. So that was in 722 B.C. Hosea is going to predict that. That's what he's talking about here when he says, I will avenge the bloodshed. Israel, uh, the, the kingdom of Israel will be destroyed. Twenty years after this, there's another king. The first one was Tiglath, Pileser. He's called Pul, P-U-L in the Bible. Very short form of his name. Howdy. Tiglath Pileser the third. And he came down and conquered in seven twenty two. The Bible calls him Pull. Then twenty years later, another one comes down. His name is Sennacherib. N N A C H E R I B. If you put down his name and put the word prism, Sennacherib's prism, and you look that up online, you will see a multi-sided thing that is the annals of his reign. And on that, he tells all the cities he conquered. He came down, surrounded the city of Jerusalem. He had conquered every city down there. He said, Yahweh sent me to conquer. And then he said, your Yahweh is no more powerful than any of the other idols of the nations. That's not a good thing to say. And so he put that on paper and sent it to King Hezekiah. And Hezekiah and Isaiah went into the uh, entryway of the temple and showed the Lord that note that this guy had written. He said, you're no different from any idol. And he said, Lord, would you please, you know, he and Isaiah prayed, please save us from this king. And so when they were through praying, they started to leave. Isaiah got a message from God, turned back around and said, we don't even need to fight. The Lord himself said he will go out and fight. And when Sennacherib's army surrounding the city of Jerusalem, that night it said the, holy, the, the uh, angel of Yahweh went out and killed 185,000 of the enemy army. And when they woke up in the morning, I love what King James says, Behold, all these dead bodies... You know, they got up and they turned tail and went back home. And so in his annals, the annals end with him saying, I caged up. He named all the, I conquered, I conquered, I conquered, I conquered all these cities. And then he said, I caged up Hezekiah like in Jerusalem like a bird in a cage. But he never conquered Jerusalem. Herodotus, a Greek historian... His name means a gift of Herod, of Hera, you know, the, the queen of the gods. Herodotus said that 
rats got loose in the camp and chewed up all their bowstrings, and they went back home. Well, that's probably not what happened, but that's, anyway, that, you know, relates to the story that was given in the Bible. So there's a secular proof, and then there's this proof. Well, Hezekiah, Hosea here is predicting what, what's going to happen to the northern kingdom. It doesn't happen in the reign of Hezekiah. It happens before that in 722, 20 years earlier. Okay? First child, Jezreel, means he sows seed. Verse 6, And she conceived again and bore a daughter. God said to him, Call her Lo-Ruhamah, for I will no longer have mercy on the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. Yet I will have mercy on the house of Judah. See, there it is. They're going to be destroyed for their disobedience, but Judah's still going to remain. Lo-Ruhamah means not shown compassion or not shown love. So Hosea... It doesn't say she bore him a son or a daughter. It just says she bore a daughter. So Hosea doesn't know if this is his baby or somebody else's baby because she is becoming promiscuous again. See, when you marry a prostitute, that's what they do. They think, well, my lovers give me all my money. They give me my wine. They give me my olive oil, my grain. So I'll go back to them. And Hosea was not a rich man. So the second child, he's not sure about. And not shown mercy means she's not showing him love. She's not showing any commitment to him. Maybe you remember uh, Amy Grant's song, El Shaddai, El Shaddai, Ercom Kana Adonai. The word Ercom is the same root as Lo Ruham. Ruham. Uh, Ercom Kana means I love you, Lord. Um, so Lo Ruhama is the same. And then he doesn't know if this is his child. Now, when she had weaned Lo Ruhama, she conceived and bore a son. Notice, she conceived and bore a son. doesn't say she bore him a son. And God said, Name him Lo-Ami, for you are not my people, and I will not be your God. There's a place in Illinois named Lo-Ami. I wonder why they did that to that place. But Lo-Ami, Lo-Ami means not my people. And Hosea is recognizing that this third one is not his. He knows this. There may be maybe a different color or something, different uh, something about the child is different, or maybe he has not even been with his wife in the last nine or ten months. So he knows this is not his. He says, "Yet the number of the children of Israel should be like the sand of the sea." which cannot be measured or numbered. What God is doing with Hosea is creating a prophet who feels the agony that God feels with his bride being immoral, going to other gods. The idea is she has... <coughs> excuse me. Uh, she has... Uh, 
become unfaithful to the degree that she's showing Hosea exactly what God feels for the way Israel is becoming unfaithful. Israel, the northern kingdom, was evil. And the northern kingdom, whenever they talk about idolatry, it equals adultery. Because they crawl out from under Yahweh in the marriage metaphor, and they crawl under another god. And it's all sexual. The whole thing is sexual. Uh, most of the ancient world, I've said this 50 times, most of the ancient world worshiped sex. The Corinthians were known for being immoral. To Corinthianize meant to be immoral. They worshiped Aphrodite. When I was in uh, Athens and then went down to Corinth, I saw the, the Acro-Corinthus. I could see it for 25 miles up north. It's a huge mountain. It would take a day to get up there. And there were up to 2,000, I call them priestitutes. They were prostitute priestesses in the temple of Aphrodite, men with limp wrists and long hair, and women uh, with their heads shaved as a phallic symbol. And uh, Paul talks about women with their heads shaved, you remember, over in 1 Corinthians? He says, if a woman prophesies or prays in the church, she needs to do it under the authority of the men. She needs to wear a veil, a sign of authority on her head uh, because she's bald. And he says, if your head is uh, not covered, a woman's head is not covered, it's just like being bald. He says a long hair on a woman is her glory, but long hair on a man is wrong. And he uses the word comma. If your hair flips on a man back in uh, Corinth, that means you're probably a homosexual who worships Aphrodite. Well, I saw a picture of Aphrodite. You can look this up. Uh, I saw a coin with Aphrodite's image on it. It's a big coin. She had multiple breasts like a dog, and she had a beard. Okay, you know what a hermaphrodite is, right? Man and woman, that's what Aphrodite is. And when Paul talks about love, uh, you're, if you're a, a clanging cymbal, you know, and all that, they use cymbals and gongs as timers on the mountain to change partners. I mean, this is an incredibly immoral thing going on in Corinth. People would come from all over the world. One of the ancient writers said, I went to Corinth burning, burning, burning. You know, they, they went there for lust reasons, for sex reasons. Uh, the same in Ephesus with Diana worship, uh, Artemis. Uh, it was just uh, the whole ancient world did this. The, the Canaanites, this is why God told Jake, uh, jo, what's his name? Joshua uh, to tell the Israelites, kill everyone, men, women, and children. Kill them all because they will pollute my people. And they went in, and of course nobody fully obeys. They didn't kill them all. Uh, until Jesus comes, nobody fully obeys. 
And uh, the, they ended up, their, their fraternity religion ended up corrupting the Jews. And so here's a man in the midst of this agony in a marriage relationship that cannot work because he's married a woman who is committing adultery when he marries her. And she goes right back to it. After he has one child, he doesn't know if the other child, the second child he's not sure about, third child is not his. And so he says, say to your, your brother, say to your sisters, please show me mercy. He talks to the three kids. Go talk to your mom. Please come back. Please love me again. And they don't do it. She won't come back. And so, let's go over to chapter 3, and let me show you what happens there. God, God has such great mercy and such great forgiveness for people. Let me recommend you read Nehemiah's prayer. In Nehemiah chapter 9. bigger my ears get, the harder it is to get these things to stay on there. Uh, chapter 3, she's gone. She's back with her lovers. And Yahweh said to me, go again, love a woman who is loved by a lover and is committing adultery. See, these are present tense. This is going on right now. She's committing adultery. Just like the love of Yahweh for the children of Israel, who look to other gods and love the raisin cakes, there it is, of the pagans, worshiping the host of heaven. So I bought her. See, he already owns her as a wife. But because she's with this lover who's providing for her, he has to buy her back like a slave. All slaves in the history of Israel always cost 30 pieces of silver. The same amount jo uh, Judas. I knew his name started with J. Uh, Judas uh, sold Jesus for. When Moses brought in the rule that you sell a slave for 30 pieces of silver, you buy a slave for 30 pieces of silver, the Jews are not allowed to show to uh, charge interest on any loans to anybody. And because of that, because you can't charge interest, there's no inflation. For 2,000 years, the Jews had no inflation because they didn't charge interest in Israel. You know, when a Gentile borrows, they charged interest. And they became later the bankers of the world. Today, to this day, the word jewelry, you know, guys that own these big jewel shops in New York, that billions of dollars, literally billions of dollars. Jewelry, the word jewelry comes from the word Jew. Okay? So these guys are the bankers, the jewelers, the insurance people, the people that build all the big buildings and, and so on in the world. Because they're really, they understand money. In the medieval days, they were the first bankers for the world. And so he goes back and he pays 15 pieces of silver, but he didn't have enough money. 
So he had to pay off the rest in grain. One and a half homers of barley. You can read uh, in your Bible what a homer is. It's a large amount. And I said, it's 15 pieces of silver worth. Remember, a piece of silver is a month's wage. So this is, you know, two and a half years. Wages. Uh, And he said to her, you will stay with me many days. You will not be a prostitute. You will not have a man. So too, I will be to you. I will be yours and you will be mine. For the children of Israel should abide many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred pillar or ephod or teraphim. Sacred pillar is idolatry. It's the worship of a, a, a starte or a isis or um, ashtar. We get the word Easter from that. Um, it's all about uh, the bunny and the egg. Fertility, see? And then, um, see, that is uh, the pillar, and then the ephod is the priest garment. And so they won't even have, let alone, they won't have a priest, they won't even have a garment for a priest. And the teraphim were the household gods that, if you remember, Rachel stole them from Laban when they ran, she ran away and hid them under a camel saddle and pretended she had her period and didn't feel good. And she said, please forgive me for not rising before you. The reason she didn't rise before him is because underneath that camel saddle she was sitting on were the household gods. Now, this is, this is uh, ancestor worship. Ancestor worship in the ancient world. Uh, the Japanese still, in some of their temples, still do ancestor worship. In some of their homes, they still do that. So that's what the teraphim is, ancestor worship or household gods. She stole them for a couple of reasons. One, she wanted them. And the other is, whoever has the household gods, the teraphim, gets to inherit the, the lion's share of the, of the family, of the property. So he says, they'll be without this. There'll be no leaders in Israel to teach them the word, because they're going to be taken away up here, and they'll be enslaved in another country. Afterward, the children of Israel will return. Here's the hope of the future. They will seek Yahweh their God, and David, David, their king. Two prophets, Amos and Hosea, called Jesus by the name David. God himself said the name David over Jesus at his baptism. He said, this is my son, Hadavid, the beloved, in whom I am well pleased. So David is actually a name for Jesus. David's been dead 300 years, you know, the king. But there's a king coming like David that's going to unify the world. And so they will return to Yahweh and and to David, to the true Messiah. They shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. God says, where they were called, not my people, lo ami. 
they will be called Ben uh, B'nai Chai Elohim, sons of the living God. So we Gentiles were not God's people, and now we're sons of the living God. And that's basically what Hosea is about. Now, all the rest of Hosea is worth reading. There's some powerful uh, emotion in it. The Jews, I, I've translated the Hebrew text of this book, and it is a mess from chapter 4 to cha through chapter 14. It, there, You can get the basic sense of it, but the Jews say that he cried on the text as he wrote. And it blurred so much that the manuscript is very difficult to read. I've, I've translated a lot of the prophets. Uh, Isaiah is hard because of his gigantic vocabulary. But he is, Hosea is hard because he, it's, he cried on the text. It's been blotted, and it's very difficult to translate. Imagine being married to somebody like this. So he takes her out in the desert. He keeps her with him in the desert. He won't let her leave. She's so far out in the desert with him that there's nobody to go to. She doesn't know where she is. She doesn't know which way to go. And he keeps her there until she finally wants him again. And that's the story of God taking Israel into Assyria and Babylon. Babylon's down here. And uh, the southern kingdom then lasts another 100 and, yeah, about 120 years. And uh, then the southern kingdom is taken away to Babylon under King Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was a genius when it comes to warfare. He knew how to fight. And he knew how to build an army and train an army. And he was very generous with Jerusalem, probably because Jeremiah was there. He loved Jeremiah. He respected him. Jeremiah told the people, if you will go out and surrender to Nebuchadnezzar, you'll at least save your lives. And they didn't believe him. This is the problem with Israel throughout all its history. They didn't believe the prophets. And finally, the third time he came, Nebuchadnezzar came to Jerusalem, he said, that's it. He was so angry that he hooked up oxen to plows and plowed up the streets of the city. There wasn't a building left. There wasn't a stone left on another stone. He threw everything down in the Kidron Valley, way down deep in that valley, 400 feet. And when the Jews came back from captivity... And they came to the place where Jerusalem had been. They said it looked like a, a forest on a mountain. They couldn't find the city until they started looking down the, in the deep valley there. And then they found all the ruins and started bringing stuff up. And they rebuilt, and the tragedy of the rebuilding, you can read in Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. We'll talk about that later on. But the second temple... You know, after, after Solomon's temple, 
Solomon's temple was all gold and ivory and cedar wood. And you could see that temple for miles, and the pilgrims who would come in would sing the psalms of ascent coming up the mountains to see that great side of that temple. You could see it for miles because it reflected the sun. It was so bright, all the gold that Solomon put in that temple. <clears throat> it must have been something. Uh, but when they built the second temple after the captivity, after they came back here from Babylon, you can read about it in Ezra and Nehemiah. Uh, when they dedicated that, that new temple, all the young people clapped and laughed and danced, and all the old people cried because they remembered Solomon's temple, and this, this thing wasn't a patch on Solomon's temple. Okay, so the rest of Hosea predicts destruction to, to Israel until you get to the very back of the book. And then he says, starting in verse 4, I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned away from him. I will be like the dew to Israel. He will grow like the lily and lengthen his roots like Lebanon, the great uh, cedars of Lebanon. His branches will spread. His beauty will be like the olive tree. Olive tree is an image of eternity to the Jews. Uh, nobody's ever seen an olive tree die. They always they live and live and live and live for thousands of years. And his fragrance is like Lebanon. Those who dwell under his shadow will return. They will be received like grain and grow like a vine. Their scent, their smell will be like the wine of Lebanon. Ephraim, that's the northern kingdom, will say, What do I have to do with idols? See, this is why he sent them to Babylon. He sent them to Assyria and Babylon because those are the most idolatrous nations in the world. They had, they had idols for everything. And uh, when the Jews went there, they got so sick of idols that when they came back, they never worshipped an idol again. The closest thing to it would be the Torah. They, they kept the law scrolls around, and they almost uh, worshipped that. But, uh, you know, it's kind of like people today that worship the King James Bible. They think it's the final, you know, good enough for the Apostle Paul. It's good enough for me. <laughs> I still love the King James, but I use all of them. What do I have to do with idols, Ephraim will say. I have heard and observed him. See, that's he's predicting the future, but he's saying it in past tense. This is the way it is with the prophets. They see things, and then they say, I saw this. And even though it's future, they call it past tense. <coughs> the, the Jews call it the, his, the historical past, where you, uh, or, or the historical future, I should say, where you talk about it as though it happened, but it's a prediction of the future because they've already seen it. Okay, that's the essence of Hosea, salvation. 
God will save His people at the end. They'll finally come back. And the Jews today, I don't know if you know, but most of them are still unbelievers and hate Christians, but there is a huge movement among the Messianic Jews. Uh, they don't call themselves Christian. That's a, that's a Gentile name. Christ is the translation of the Hebrew word Messiah. So the Jews call themselves Messianic Jews. They believe Jesus is the Messiah. And we call Jesus the Christ. But we know the word Messiah too, Mashiach in Hebrew. Uh, it means anointed one. And Christ also, Christos, Christa means to anoint. Okay, any question on Hosea? You know, basically, uh, we got about eight minutes, nine minutes. Anytime you have questions, let me know. Uh, there are many, yeah. What would you say? For what? My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Amos says almost the same thing. Because you have rejected knowledge, I will also reject you from being a priest for me. See, they rejected knowing God. That's what the problem is. Because you have forgotten the law of your God, I will forget your children. Your little ones will be taken to, to Assyria. And then what was the other verse? <coughs> The men themselves go apart with prostitutes, offer sacrifices with a ritual harlot. There's that word, holy one. Therefore, people who do not understand will be trampled. Yeah, it is. People committing adultery in the church. Adultery, first of all, Jesus says lust leads to adultery, and adultery leads to divorce. You look at the Sermon on the Mount, that's the order. Looking at a woman for the purpose of lusting, and then adultery, and then divorce. And that's the order. Uh, it's not the unforgivable sin, but it is reality that divorce is a sin, and it's a very painful thing. I don't know if you're aware of this. I've got an article written about it on divorce. Uh, God himself was divorced twice. Jeremiah 3, God divorced the northern kingdom, his first bride. And God divorced the southern kingdom, sent them away to Babylon. He gave them, Jeremiah says, a writ of divorce. That's how you divorce your wife back then. And sent them away. And then later he receives them back as one. But most of the ones that went up to Assyria were swallowed up in the nations. A very few came back from Babylon. The list of those people, you can look at them in, in uh, Nehemiah and Ezra. Those two, Ezra and Nehemiah, were back to Jerusalem at the same time. Ezra came much earlier, and then Nehemiah came afterwards. Ezra helped rebuild the temple with Zerubbabel, and Nehemiah rebuilt the walls. 
But that's yet to come for these prophets. Okay, real quick, let's shoot through Amos. I know what it's like to try to get all this, but Joel, Amos, Obadiah. After Joel, the prophet Amos, this guy, he's unique. Now, Hosea lived, you could tell, he lived through uh, a long period with his wife. Most scholars say 40 to 50 years he prophesied. But Amos prophesies to the northern kingdom only about two weeks. Because Amos didn't live up there. Amos was a shepherd of a certain kind of dwarf sheep called Nokadim by the Jews. The king of Moab shepherded the same kind of sheep. These dwarf sheep with a great big thick fleece. And so if the king of Moab did that, you know it takes great wealth to be able to do that. So here's Amos living in the Negev, which is down at the very bottom of the Holy Land. If we drew a picture of the Holy Land along the Mediterranean Sea, the Jordan goes down here. Here's the Jordan River flowing down to the Dead Sea. And if you go down to this part, this is Judah, and this is called Ephraim by the prophets, or Israel. And uh, he went from clear down here at the very bottom of Judah, a place called the Arabah, also referred to as the Negev. Way down. This is where God sent Philip to meet the eunuch. One-on-one -on -one encounter. And he ended up baptizing the eunuch, and the eunuch went back to Ethiopia, began a church that traces its ancestry back to that eunuch. And there, I have had two Ethiopian students both with golden skin. You know, Jeremiah asked, can an Ethiopian change its skin? Can a leopard change its spots? Uh, way down here, he's taking care of these sheep down by uh, Egypt, down by the Dead Sea. And uh, Jerusalem might be up in here someplace. That's not a very good... The map of the sea should be up there. But Jerusalem is here. Jericho is here. Jericho, the city of palm trees. So he's down here with the sheep, and all of a sudden God calls him. And he has to go all the way up to here, to where the central power, Samaria, is the capital city of the northern kingdom. And he goes up and meets the king, he prophesies. Uh, the king has a problem uh, with his health. You'll see what happens if you read the book. Uh, the king points to him and says, Seize him! And when he does, his hand goes, shrivels up. And he qu quickly changed his mind and said, Would you please, you know, pray and, and heal me? And so uh, uh, Amos did that. There's a great story in this in this book. But look how he starts. 
verse 2. See, this is during Uzziah, king of Judah. So this is early in Hosea's prophecy that Amos preaches. Yahweh roars from Zion and utters His voice from Jerusalem, an image of a lion. The pastures of the shepherds mourn. The top of Mount Carmel withers. Carmel's up here. It's the highest of the mountains in northern kingdom. Thus says Yahweh, for three transgressions of Damascus. What He does here, He condemns all the countries around, including Israel, and then finally Judah. But He is going after Israel, and He attacks Israel. He says, the lion has roared, who can but be afraid? Yahweh has spoken, who can but prophesy? Hosea is known as the prophet of social justice. That sets him apart from all the others. He calls the women of Israel, you cows of Bashan. He calls them cows. He says, you keep telling your husband, bring us more and bring us more. And you crush the poor under feet, under your feet. Uh he wants people to treat people with respect. He preaches for two weeks. And then at the end of the two-week period, our time's up. So was his. He went back down to take care of his sheep again. Apparently wealthy enough that had, he had other shepherds working for him. But God called him from being a shepherd. He says, I was neither a prophet nor the son of a prophet. I was the son of a gun. No, he didn't say that. He said, I was, I was neither a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but I was a shepherd watching sheep when Yahweh called me. And I went up to the north and warned them about the destruction. The reason they were going to be destroyed is the father and his son went into the same prostitute. God couldn't stand it. You know, it's, it's, immorality is a destruction. He said they forced the Nazarites to drink wine, which was against their oath. They forced the Rechabites against their father's commitment to drink wine. Uh, the only groups of Jews that never drank wine were Nazarites and Rechabites because Rehab, Rechab had made a commitment years back, several generations, that he would never drink wine again. And their family stuck with that all the way down. But by this time, they were forcing them to do this. They were leading them astray into sin, what for them was sin. God has sent rain in one area and in another area. He blasted them with mildew in the fields to destroy their crops, and they still wouldn't repent. And Amos talks about that. And we're out of time. But Amos also points at the end of his book to a hope of the future for Israel. That's pretty much it for these two prophets. It's all the time we have. I, oh, I forgot. Burden. Yeah, he had a burden for different countries, but especially for the country of Israel. He was a burden bearer, really, for Israel. In English, the name Wayne 
means burden bearer. You know that? You know, a wainwright is a guy that works on wagons, and wagons carry loads. So, just... Any other comments or questions? We need to pray. There's so much more. Uh, you know, there's no way you can do justice to all 12 of the, of the prophets. We have <coughs> Monday night, Tuesday night, and Wednesday night for all the rest of the prophets. We have done four, so there are six, eight remaining. Last I checked, four and eight makes twelve. So, Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your long-suffering, for your mercy that you put up with Israel, you put up with us, you put up with our fathers, you put up with our country. You even forgive us for all the things we've done. Father, I pray that you will send your Holy Spirit and bring revival to this nation. I pray that you will protect our president, that you will bless him and his family and use them to bring the truth back, to bring your word back. As I prayed for Barack Obama and prayed for both the Bushes and prayed for many others, the presidents, I pray for Trump, that you'll teach him wisdom and teach him humility and help him to learn from you and to learn from all the great past presidents like uh, Reagan and Lincoln, Washington, that he'll become a godly man, a godly leader, that he'll give his heart to you and follow you. And Father, I pray for this church. I pray for Harold and Cindy right now. I know they were going to go to the hospital and drain the water off him. I know he's hurting. I pray, Father, that you'll somehow bring healing to him and renew his strength and bring back his health. Use him further in your kingdom. So much yet to be done. We look forward, Father, to the coming of your Son, and we pray again, Maran Atha, our Lord, come. In Jesus' name, amen. Feel like it's so inadequate.